With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm uh, Ed McGrogan here with uh, Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. Everybody's back from break. Uh, Ed was in Las Vegas, everybody. Ask him if he's got any money left. <laughs> you know, I was looking for real something really, you know, just stupid to do with my last five bucks there, and so I put it on the bills to win the Super Bowl at the end, and... Uh, <laughs> Good ending. So, so you got nothing. So <laughs> wait, 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 I think our I think our listeners need to know Ed is a Bills fan and Steve is an Eagles fan. Eagles fan. So which is, oh boy, I, which is worse? This is a sorry crew. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe, maybe we'll do the end end the podcast with Go Bills like Russert used to do. Well, at least when the season starts, they need. They're going two and fourteen. Let's. I'm not going to beat around <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we better get back to the tennis. That's a little more yeah. comfortable and fun, right? Yeah, for sure. When you're talking about Buffalo, so. So uh, this past weekend was the last Masters event, major event before the U.S. Open um, in Cincinnati. Uh, Roger Federer, he won the title. He beat Marty Fish in the final. Federer had a run to the final, which was uh, the first two rounds. He played about a less than a set of tennis. You're calling about, that a run, by the way? It just <laughs> Maybe a, a scamper there. And, what happened? Uh, he had a withdrawal and a default. He played seven oh. games against Istomin in his first match. Yeah, and then Cole Schreiber couldn't couldn't. Make it to the practice. Couldn't make it to warm up, and then, <laughs> then he took out Davidenko easily, and then he took out Mark Bagdadis in about an hour. Or so and then fish. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it was a, it's still an, a a good run for for Roger considering where he was like a month ago. He's been to the final and a, and won a tournament now. Um, yeah, both Masters. I mean, and yeah, both uh, going into the U.S. Open. It almost feels like to me like it's coming back into place between. Between Federer and Nadal, it's sort of going back to to where we usually are at this point. Rafa has sort of mysteriously fallen off, and Federer has has raised his game after Wimbledon. It reminds me of of you know certain years in the past. Yeah. Well, this is a year when he certainly does need to raise his game for that because he he's got people hot on his heels. I mean, he's put a little distance between himself now and a number three, but. Uh, you know the wolves are at the door, and I think he's he's sort of gotten. I think he's gotten kind of a wake up call, you know. And I I put a lot of it down to the influence of Paul Anacone. I, I haven't really read too much. I must say, if Federer is you know talking about that, but then he never really talks about his coach as much. This is a guy who's almost got like a, a phobia about about coaches and discussing coaches and stuff. And even the way he you know hooks up with him or doesn't, you know, those are all he he really is a little different from from the other players. But I think that he talked about attacking. He talked about. 
you know, after that, finally, he talked about how, you know, he was before that he wasn't really reading people's serves too well. He was wasn't he was playing pretty passively, just getting the ball back and play. And let's remember, there's a guy of whom everybody used to say two years ago that he doesn't have to worry about his return or even to serve that much. Basically, just dump the ball on the other side of the net, get it between the lines, and then let his talent take it from there. I don't think that's. I think he's coming to think that that's not really going to be good enough anymore. Yeah, I noticed. I mean, in Toronto, I saw a lot. He was much more aggressive on returns of serve. I, I saw there. So, I mean, yeah, I think he was. I mean, I don't know what the Anacone situation is. He seemed to be backing Federer. Seemed to be backing away from from their coaching relationship in Toronto a little bit. And he had his his old coach uh, Luthi in in Cincinnati. So, and, and Paul wasn't there. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But it did seem like he was he was more aggressive on returns. That's the only thing I. I really, you know, could could notice that was that was different. He he said he's not going to suddenly become a, a chip and charge player after Anacon or or even a you know a significantly more attacking player. I think he takes he takes a few things from from Paul. Probably taken a couple things from Paul so far. But wait, but who was a great chip and charge player of, of our recent times? Paul Anacon. So you know, just the fact that he's denying that he's going to become a chip and charge player is telling me that the conversation has taken place. We'll I, see. Maybe he'll become a you know a Pete Sampras like player. Pete went for a lot. You know, later in his career, he he was sort of a, relied on his serve, and he went for a lot. Maybe there's you know maybe there's there's something that in the in the future for him. So we'll see. Like we said, he didn't he he won a couple close matches, which I think were helpful in Toronto, and and he won Cincinnati, even if it wasn't even if he didn't beat you know any of his closest rivals. Yeah, he the last one was a very a very strong one. It was it was I, I watched it most the majority of it. It was almost like uh, my little Isner Mahout a little bit. There was one break of serve right at the end. Uh, there wasn't much of any. There's only six break points in the whole match. There was hardly any games that would go to 0-30. Um, you know, Roger. I think when we talk about his U.S. Open prospects, he's always one where if he's got his serve on, he's always going to be tough to beat. And I think Pete, you were talking about. Would you consider him at this point the uh, the favorite, or is the men's game at the moment still? You see something from Murray last week. You see something from Federer. He's still got a doll. Is there a really a clear favor going into? Flushing Meadows? Clear favor going in is Roger Federer. Doesn't mean he can't lose in the second or third round. I mean, because, look, he's at this stage when he, 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 he's, a, he, he's a guy in the late stages of his career. Those guys, they can come up with horrendous days. One of the big differences between a, a top-of-the-form dominant player and then an aging champion is that the guy can't bring it every day. So, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. But, but to me, you look at the guy's overall record, plus the fact that he's coming off back-to-back <clears throat> Masters events with a final and a, and a title you you can't not make him the favorite. In every hardcore event this year, I mean, even the ones in Key Biscayne and Indian Wells, he had match points in those losses. So, and of course, he had the Aussie Open one too. So, yeah, I would say that's true. Except having watched the match against matches against Burdich and Djokovic in Toronto, he had a couple lapses that were that were should have cost him the match against Burdich. It didn't. He got a he got out of that when Burdich Burdich did choke when he had the had the match on his racket. And Djokovic got tired. Now, those are close wins for Federer. Djokovic but got tired? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Federer let him know about it, too. Heaven forbid. Um, uh, so Roger had a real lapse in the, in the match against Burdich, a real sort of uncharacteristic. Uncha- he was broken in the last game of the second set for three, three bad shots. That's, so that's something that's there and I think will happen at certain points in this U.S. Open run. I would say he's the favorite, but, there's, but there is a real sort of you know, there's it's much less sure. I think there's much more of a chance of him having having a, a you know a bad day or something inexplicable happening to him. 
What do you what do you guys take out of the Toronto Cincinnati swing for Nadal? Because we when we last left him in Wimbledon, it was it was kind of where we wanted to see could he continue this you know this upward slope and really take really kind of run the table and he had the semis in Toronto and I think in a quarterfinal loss to Baghdadis here in Cincinnati. So um, yeah, it's pretty disappointing. Um, he didn't run the table. Obviously, he did sort of what he's. What he's done in the past, he, he's he's fallen off a little bit. The Toronto match against Murray, I found strange. He didn't come out with a lot of energy. He'd won a close match the day before, but I almost felt like in the press conferences before and after, he was giving Murray almost too much respect. Too much respect for a guy who's who is the number one player in the world. It's not, you know, Murray's beaten him in the past. It's not like he doesn't deserve it, but but Nadal talked differently or talked even sort of more respectfully than I would have imagined. And he came out with a lot less energy than he had at Wimbledon. He, if you remember the early matches at Wimbledon, even when he got behind, there was a sense, at least to me, that he, he was going to come back and win those matches. He was, he was you know, absolutely determined, and he played with a lot, of, a lot more energy as the match went on. But that didn't happen against Murray, and it didn't happen against Baghdadis. I don't know if, if it's the hard courts or he's starting to wear down or it's just two bad matches. Look, let's we'll face see. it. I mean, the guy, the, there are three, three major surfaces in the game. Grass, because of Wimbledon, basically, hard courts, and clay. And on two of those three surfaces, Nadal is totally, absolutely, thoroughly comfortable. He's grass and clay. On hard courts, there's still a little bit of a thing in the back of his mind. Sure, he, you know, he, he altered his game. We made a big deal out of that a couple of years ago when he won Indian Wells and he was, you know, was taking a ball earlier, playing from further in the court. You know, but still, a guy in the back of his mind, you know, hard courts are not really his favorite. He doesn't, he doesn't feel the comfort that he feels on natural surfaces. So, you know, I mean, that's, that, that's going to be an issue for Nadal. There's no question about that. I, I prefer to think that he's going to, uh, you know, really challenge, that he's kind of late, you know, sort of, in, you know, kind of maybe laying in the weeds a little bit and just, you know, trying to keep himself in condition to really contend. I think there's also, there's just other players who are more, proficient on hard courts. Murray is best on hard courts. Baghdadis is best, better on hard courts than he is grass or clay. There's there's just more, you know, the, the surface is more neutral. The bounce is more sure. There's other players who are, you know, at least as comfortable as Rafa. Draw is pretty courts. important for him, I think, this, this Thursday. To, yeah, it's know, true. To see, I, and like I was noticing in Cincinnati, there was kind of a, I was looking at some of the earlier matches, and there's really some stack, stacked quarters where you see just a lot of guys who can really light it up in hard courts. You had Nelbanian who had a good run. You had, you know, Soderling's got Roddick. You don't know, these guys aren't going to be all ranked in the top, you know, four or eight and, you know, sectioned off where Nadal, a guy like Nadal or Federer can miss them. It, they can really run into some road yeah, you you know, roadblocks right away. Burditch is playing the best he's played. He likes hard courts, and Davidenko's beaten Nadal the last couple of times they played on hard I mean, courts. Isner may not play, but, I mean, you know, Isner scares Nadal. Let's face it, he does. Nadal will tell you, you know, and, 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 and right, rightfully so. I mean, you know, there's no, no slight to Rafa intended in that. And also, you know, you, you know, Robin Soderling, nobody's mentioned him. You know, we know Rafa's history with him. We know that it, that's, that would be a very, very tough assignment for him. So even a Chilich, I think, even though he blows hot and cold, you know, he can, he, can, he can get in there and do some damage. And he can, you know, you get Rafa in a bad mood or if he's not playing that well, if he gets a little tweak, he tweaks a knee. Or, you know, last year was the abdominal, abdominal muscle in his stomach. You know, pretty, it's pretty easy to start slipping downhill mentally and thinking, well, it's the U.S. Open. It's never been my thing. I've had a great year. I won. Wimbledon and French back to back again. So those those are going to be. I think his challenges really are, are, are pre- predominantly mental. But it's still that's all true. I think, but it still surprises me that he didn't win one of these tournaments after his performances at the French and Wimbledon. It's still I don't know. It's still I'm surprised by that that he hasn't played better. Well, I agree. I mean, I think the guy the guy definitely has a calendar slam in him. I mean, I, I think he's you know 
you know, his his all surface proficiency. I mean, let's face it, if you're going to, you know, put the surfaces just in terms of speed, high to bound, stuff like that, it's not that the hard courts are all that different from the other courts. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's they're more similar than they are different. The ball bounces, you know, and you hit the ball. You know, but I think it's going to be for him, though. I think uh, I think the mental block has always has always been pretty big. And you, even when you talk about him, he talks about well, two years ago was I was tired, you know, the the year, year before the year after that, I you know I felt great coming in physically, but you know you know then. I injured myself. You know, he he's always had he's he's got a reason every time he did battle. And this time also, he's you almost felt like he started over after he's a guy who we all know builds up momentum over time. And he started after Wimbledon. He had a month off, and he and he he talked in Toronto about how his serve wasn't right and his backhand wasn't right, and he was also moving a little more slowly. All things that would happen when you're starting starting a new almost a new season. Yeah. And well, and the other thing there is you you, you know he's he's going to. Uh, you know, if if he he may be approaching it as saying, "Look, I'm not gonna, I'd li- I'd prefer to think that he's approaching it this way." Okay, I'm not going to worry too much about the events going into the going into the U.S. Open. Sure, I want I want I want to get matches. I want to keep myself in match condition. I want I want to win as much as possible, but I really don't want to. I don't necessarily want to hit put the pedal to the metal too early. I really because he's talked be about prime. he's he's talked more in this recent year about taking the open than beforehand it, w- it wasn't a you know it wasn't at least vocalized in terms of, to everyone else but he i know he's made a reference to that a couple times this year so no, we told mackerel at the french open in the uh, post-match interview that you know i'll see you in new york basically he didn't say i'll see you at wimbledon so which was you know i mean we could read too much into these things obviously but you know i, I think that's i think that's pretty significant I, I think the guy is you know sort of in the back of his mind he just he just wants to be healthy going into the open he wants to feel like everything's right in terms of you know he's played enough he's He's physically fit, and uh, you know these, that's how these things work themselves out for these guys. And I just want to mention, just we're talking about the guys, hardcore guys. Just want to mention Fish. We've just talked about Federer there, but I know we we all looked at when the summer stretch came, Query Isner, and Fish, and we're kind of looking at these Masters events. You know, let's see the real litmus test for these guys, and and it's tough to deny that uh, Fish is yeah, a guy that, that no one would want to play right now. I was impressed with the, his match against Roddick, a guy who's his friend who'd beaten him a bunch, a, a number of consecutive times in, before Atlanta, and, and Fish won that match on, I, th- I would have to say, on mental toughness. He won the second set tiebreaker, and then he, it was Andy who got who got discouraged, and in the past, you know, the, it was the other way around. You know, Andy owned the, you know, he, he owned, sort of owned Marty, Mentally, just because he knew him and he'd beaten him so many times, and he was the higher-ranked player. But now, I, I think Marty's out from under that, and that seems like a big deal. And of course, there's the physical aspect with with Marty. He almost seems like a new a new player, having lost all that weight. Where it remains to be seen what his game will become. He's you know he, he could do a lot with it, even at age 28. It's funny. I was supposed to talk to Marty last week, and he, and, and uh, I, I missed our first appointment. And I texted him to see if he was going to be around here, and he texted back that he's going to be. He's going to Austin to train, so I presume he was going down there to train with Andy. So, you know, he went down there, but you know, he's he's coming to his own. He's he's mature. He's he's hardworking. He's got a lot of pride. Those two guys are buddies. I don't think Andy. You know, I don't think this is going to damage their relationship or anything. But you can you can see how serious you know Fish is. I don't think he's he doesn't feel like he's needs to play second fiddle to anybody. And he's I think he's realizing that this is you know the clock's running out on his career too. And he's thinking you know what I I got to go for it when I can. And that, that's what he's doing. He's he's playing very well. Yep. Oh, a good time to be playing well right before the Open, and that's what we're going to look at the next podcast. Uh, the draw will come out this Thursday. Uh, 
Pete and I and uh, David Rosenberg will be at the Taste of Tennis event actually doing a podcast, and we may have another draw. Look at the draw here later in the week as well. Uh, Some good food at that Taste of Tennis, I hope. I don't know if we're going to be talking too much on it. We'll be able to eat. I hope people can get used to us chewing on air. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the taste of tennis is. <laughs> I don't know. At least get a drink out of it somewhere. So uh, we'll talk to you then, the U.S. Open Preview Podcast, uh, later in the week. Uh, thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.